Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate it. Man, that's a good band. You know, I heard the drummer last week. He was good, too. Uh, shame he couldn't be here. Man, y'all sounded really good. Really good. Give them a round of applause. You know, let's appreciate them a little bit. All right. Um, let me ask you this. I know the bright lights are here, but some of you graduated, I think. Probably some of, some of the graduates are not here tonight, but raise your hand if you just graduated from college. All right. Well, I see a few, a few hands. All right. And how many of you just graduated from high school maybe and are here and coming to Kaleo? Anybody here? I think a couple of you. All right. Good. Good. How many freshmen do we have? How many, how many freshmen and sophomores do we have here? None. Oh, a few, a few. I guess the rest of you are juniors and seniors, or maybe you don't go to school at all. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You're just here. Well, uh, I, got some, I think some good news for you. We have been looking for a college pastor for a long time, and uh, it, we feel like we've come across a guy that is really fitting the bill. You know, I don't know how you know uh, all about what's been going on, but since last summer, we've been looking for someone, and the committee got together and said, this is the kind of person we think we need. Some of them were college students at the time. I'm not sure they are now. I think they've graduated. But um, also some, some teachers as well that were on that, are on that committee. And they drew up a list of things that they felt like we really needed for a college pastor, and we feel like this guy, Brennan, is his name, fits the bill. Now, uh, let me just say that uh, the committee has not talked to him formally, so that's going to happen here in a couple of weeks, and then if that uh, goes okay, goes good, then you're going to have a chance to meet him, uh, what, on Saturday morning, right? Where, where are you, Daryl? Saturday morning, we'll be at Starbucks at Park on the 21st, Okay, I get a chance to meet him then. Really good preacher, uh, 33 years old, married, two, uh, two children, both girls, and uh, 13 years of experience, so he's got a lot of experience, and he's really uh, loving Florida. He's been through the campus, really has a vision for things, and so I hope that you'll be encouraging to him. Um, probably more encouraging, maybe, you know, tonight I, I feel like I need to say something really encouraging to you. I mean, after all, it's summer, boy, everybody's uh, feeling good about things, but I'm right in the midst of a series that I, I need to continue, and I'm going to talk about the silence of God tonight, because as people uh, begin to destruct their faith, and we've been talking about that a little bit, um, what they go through is questioning God about all kinds of things. Now, here's what the group of people that were raised in church, probably their parents were there as well, sitting with them, maybe in the pew, or at least they went to small group, and they learned all this stuff, and they just accepted all of it. And now when they've gotten down the road, now they begin to doubt things and to question things. We said there's nothing wrong with doing that as long as you do it for the right reason, that you're not just trying to do something to, to find a way to fit in, but you're really honestly asking the questions. Now, I said last week that the two things that probably really derail us more than anything else, and I've been there too, is number one, big question, God, why is there so much suffering in the world? And it's not just your suffering. It's a situation where maybe you uh, or like me, you visit Arnold Palmer Hospital, you see these little babies in the incubator, and you see them uh, 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 premature in their birth, and you see them suffering, and you see others that you go to funerals, and, you know, it's not a really old person that you would expect. Speaking of old, you know, some, how many of you have been here, how many of, of you I dedicated when you were babies? Anybody here? Look at all these folks. You know, man, I feel so young. Thank you very much. Um, but anyway, they're not old, and you go to a funeral and you say, God, why, why all the suffering? 
why is all the stuff happening in the world? That's next week. But also, I think when we get down to a personal level, there's usually a crisis in our life, and it revolves around this thing called prayer. It revolves around something. Maybe you think to yourself, hey, I've had a lot of answers to prayer. We don't remember those, uh, usually, because they, they seem small in comparison to the one that God didn't answer. They seem small to the one where you say, God, I've just got to have this. And, and God, it's not even anything maybe material. It's a person in your life. Um, I'm reading a story, and if you've been here long enough, you, you, know, you may remember me reading this story. It comes out of a book that Philip Yancey wrote on disappointment with God. And he wrote a book um, earlier that I think uh, Life When It Hurts or something like that. And so uh, a guy by the name of Richard wrote him something in response to that book, and then he published it in Disappointment with God. Here's how, here's how it goes. I remember the first flush of faith at the university. I was young then and vulnerable. I had just learned a few upbeat phrases and talked myself into believing in the abundant life. Maybe I'd been mimicking other Christians and living off their experiences. I, had I deluded myself about God? Still, I hesitated to cast aside all that I believed. I felt that I had to give God one last chance. So I prayed that night as earnestly and sincerely as I knew how. I prayed on my knees. I prayed stretched out flat on the oak floor. God, do you care? I prayed. I don't want to tell you how to run your world, but please give me some sign that you're really there. That's all I ask. For four years, I've been straining for a personal relationship with God as the phrase goes, and yet God had treated me worse than he had treated any of my friends. Now, everything narrowed down to one final question. How can you have a personal relationship with God or any person that you don't even know if they exist? With God, I could never be sure. I prayed for at least four hours. At times, I felt foolish. At times, utterly sincere. I had the sensation of stepping off a ledge in the darkness with no idea where I might land this was up to God. Finally, at four o'clock in the morning, I came to my senses. Nothing had happened. God had not responded. Why continue torturing myself? Why not just forget God and get on with my life like most of the rest of the world? Instantly, I felt a sense of relief and freedom, like I had just passed a final exam or gotten my first driver's license. The struggle was over. My life was my own. Now, you read that, and you think, well, Pastor, I don't even know why you read that thing. I mean, that's discouraging, and maybe you feel like, well, you know, look, first of all, he was telling God how to run his business. You know that, right? But secondly, there had to be a reason for that. If you read around what uh, Philip Yancey said about Richard, because he met him after this. He met up with him. He talked to him. Turns out um, he was in a relationship with a girl. She's a Christian girl. He was depending on her a lot for his Christian walk. She left him, she broke up with him, and he was brokenhearted over the situation. And so I, I say that because there was one thing that was most important to him, maybe the most important thing in life ever at that time. One thing, God, you could do. Now, God, you've done these other things, but God, one thing, only thing I ask of you, one thing, and God didn't do it. And therefore, all kinds of doubts begin to set in. Is God really there? Does he really care? Does he really want a personal relationship with me? Here's the almighty God that created the universe. Why should he want a relationship with me? And so in order for you and I to really come to grips with this, we can question all about the apologetics with God, 
But really, one of the secrets is understanding prayer and understanding our relationship with God through prayer. So I want to look at the uh, Lord's Prayer today, and there's all kinds of theology in this that maybe we haven't seen before. Theology that has to do with God and our relationship with him and how prayer is important and what, and what really prayer is really all about when we're praying to him. Well, as we look at this, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, you, you know that he preached the Sermon on the Mount not to get everybody saved, but to get everybody lost. Preaching to a Jewish audience, they thought they were all right. And Abraham, all they had to do was trust in their Jewish faith and they were going to be okay. You know, the, the priest, the, the rabbi was going to take care of them. Uh, hey, it's okay, just obey the law. And Jesus was telling them, uh, in fact, in one point in here in chapter 5, he says, be you perfect, as my Father in heaven is also perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. They knew that. And so suddenly they were getting this feeling, I'm missing something in my life. Well, in the midst of all this, the disciples wanted Jesus to teach them to pray. Now, we, te- we talk about this being the Lord's Prayer, and technically it's Jesus' model prayer. And so he models certain things that he says, like a prayer list. He says, pray like this. It's not that you have to just, an incantation, if you pray this particular prayer, God's going to bless you above every other prayer. He was just giving a, a model, something to teach us to pray. And in this, we see doctrine and theology, because shedding light on prayer will help us get through the dark times with God. First of all, I want us to see that it starts off with a word about relationship, the key to the whole thing. He said in verse 9, pray like this, our Father in heaven, our Father. Did you realize of all the religions of the world, there's only one religion that you could ever uh, address God as your Father without being accused of being a blasphemer, and that's the Christian faith. It's the only one, a Father, a relationship. Prayer begins with knowing who you're praying to, a relationship with God and fellowship with God. We look at David, we look at Abraham in the Old Testament, And they had conversational-type prayers with God, knowing who he was and knowing his voice. Now, when we talk about praying to the Father, I ask you a question. How is the relationship with him? He said, well, pretty good. Okay, let's do two test questions. Two test questions. Number one, first question would be, when God is working in your life, he's really working in your life, do you recognize that? Both the good and the bad. And then secondly, if he were to tell you today, this now that you've graduated, all right, here's what I want you to do. Here is my will, the next step in your life. Would you be able to hear that? Would you be able to recognize his voice? So let me come to the first one real quickly. There was a, a, a true story. Taylor University, 2006, um, a student van was traveling on the highway It had an accident, and everybody in that van, teachers and students, were killed except for one person. Her name was Laura Van Ryn, and uh, you may have read this story. It's a long time ago, 2006, 15 years ago. But I remember this accident happened, Taylor University, and this is one, one young girl, as the story is told, that was left, and she was all bandaged up. Nobody could recognize. So injured so badly, cuts all over her, that she was just a solid bandage. Her parents had a vigil right beside her bed all the time. They were there. But they recognized something really strange. When she opened up her eyes and looked at them, she acted like she didn't know who they were. She acted like she didn't recognize anything they had to say. It was all foreign to them. 
to her. And she was, they were thinking to themselves, well, it's just a head injury. That's all it is. But they found out through later testing that this wasn't Laura Van Wren at all. It was Whitney Sarek, a young lady who had the same sort of build and height as Laura did. Whitney, Whitney was on in the bed. Laura had been buried as Whitney in Whitney's grave. Her parents were grieving, and Laura's parents were not even at the funeral, could not even be at the funeral and grieve their daughter. They didn't recognize who she was. Sometimes I think that we look into the Bible, and we think to ourselves, or maybe we don't look into the Bible, we just think to ourselves, this is how I think God really is. And we say that all the time because we look to the Bible and say, well, I don't believe that about the Bible. I mean, my, my goodness, that can't be in there. Well, okay, that's just not in the Hebrew and the original Greek, is it? I heard it wasn't. And we, we question everything because we don't maybe recognize really who God is and the ways of God, how he's working in our life. Something's going on in your life. You just simply don't understand it. All you know is what you're going through is very true. And it is, as we said last week. It is the truth. It's just not the whole truth. Only God knows the whole truth. So secondly, in this relationship idea, do you recognize his voice? Do you recognize the voice? For example, many of you now have, I don't have it on me, but your cell phone. And you open up your cell phone and there's, it's ringing and you recognize the name on there. So this is not even a good illustration for you. But back in the day when you didn't have voice ID, wasn't that long ago, you pick up the phone and maybe it's a flip phone. Do you know what that is, flip phone? You flip phone, you know, you see them on movies. And, and you say, hello. And immediately they start talking. And you know whether you know them or not. Now, I've had members to call me before and old friends. And they said, hey, Dwayne, how's it going? You know, and I'm thinking the whole conversation, who are you? I don't know. I, I don't talk to you enough to know who you are. And it's funny, since that happens to me, when I call my own kids, I say, this is dad. And they laugh at me. I know who it is. How do they know who it is? How do they know? Somebody tell me. No, it's not caller ID. They do now, but I mean back in the day. I mean, they, well, exactly. They recognize my voice. I've talked to them all my life, and they recognize my voice. I remember when my, uh, I lived out in the country, I grew up in the country, we'd play ball out in the backyard, I kind of had our own ball field out there, and my uh, different moms would come to their back doors, it's kind of all of them in a big circle, and yell and scream for their son to come home for dinner. I immediately recognized my mom's voice. Why? I understood it because I'd heard it so much. The problem is, sometimes in our relationship, and he says, our Father, pray our Father. The relationship is so key because you need to talk to him enough and hear his voice enough in your heart to know how he speaks, how he works in your life. How did I know to come here as the pastor? It was a struggle, one of the biggest struggles I'd ever had discerning the will of God. But I finally was able to discern and recognize the voice of God in my mind and in my heart. And so he says the first thing here in understanding prayer is relationship, because without relationship, you can't do the second thing, and that is trust. Notice he says, hallowed be thy name. We honor your name. How are you honoring your ne his name? You honor God's name first and foremost by trusting in him. And so here we find he's asking the question, and we ask her uh, the two questions I've said so much about prayer. Can he, 
Can we honor his name because he's all-powerful and will he? Does he love me enough to do it? Now, Jesus is saying, my father in heaven and your father in heaven is powerful enough. If you have that relationship with him, you know that that's true. If you know his voice, you know that he's willing to do it. And so with this, there's now a trust in God. Jesus put it this way. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. So he's got the power to do it. And he's got the power, he's got the the love to also he will do it. So notice he moves on here. He says his name and then hallowed be his name, trusting in that name, what he represents, his character. How do you know that? How do you? Because you know his voice. Because you have that relationship with him through the word and through the church because church always brings it into perspective. And so you've got the word, you've got the church, you've got a, a good prayer life. And so you're talking to God, God's talking to you. And now you begin to recognize, even through the trials of life, okay, God is trying to do something in my life. And so that leads to the kingdom, the lordship of Christ. Now, if I'm going to trust God, if I'm going to reconstruct my faith, I've got to realize who I'm really worshiping, whose name I'm really trusting in. Notice it says, your kingdom come and then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This word kingdom, when he mentions this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he even said uh, in Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom represent? It represents God's rulership of our life. So he's saying, who is on the throne of your life? Now, I mentioned something about Richard, but I could mention that in my own life, and maybe you could too. You could say, well, okay, yeah, I got an answer to prayer over here, and I got in the, okay, I got in this school, and I was praying, but I was really praying for this one, and God said no. I, I know that I'll eventually find the right person, but I really felt the right person was this person. They were really good for me. And so what you're saying is, in a sense, you know, I, I think I know more. You know, as Richard, I'm not trying to tell you God how to do your business, but he really was. He was really saying, I'm not going to come under your lordship and really put you on the throne of my life. Listen, I've, I've discovered in my own life, if I get upset with God, and I'm not saying I haven't because I have, but if I get upset with God, it's because whatever I'm praying for at that moment is more important in my life than he is. Whatever I'm praying for, and I'm really frustrated. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, well, God, I, wow, I didn't know why that prayer wasn't answered. You know, that, that's curious. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Richard type of stuff. My, my heart is crushed because God didn't come through for me in the most important thing in my life. So when that happens, I have to wonder, God, what's going on? Well, let me just say this, and this kind of might be off off the subject just a little bit, but out of curiosity, I'll just say, there are three reasons why God would say no. I mean, you know the old saying, is there three possible answers to prayer, yes, no, and wait? And so it's like, maybe, maybe not. That's not what it's saying. Yes, it is the will of God, and God's going to do it for you. Uh, No, it's not not the will of God. It's not going to happen. Or wait, God's pulling a lot of things together, including your patience and my patience, in order to answer that prayer. But why would God say no? Well, I'll give you the three B's, okay? If you're taking notes, I hope you are. Something bigger in the plan of God. Something bigger. You know, you have a plan that's pretty good, but God's got a bigger plan. 
I remember taking my grandkids through the Toys R Us, which broke my heart when they closed. But it really broke my wife's heart. She liked to go. I, I like to take the kids. She liked to play with the toys too. But anyway, we're, we're going in, and one of them, one of them, I remember very reflective. He he knows he can only choose one thing, but the other two that were with us were like grabbing everything off the shelf. I mean everything. Oh no, I want this instead. I want this instead. And I was trying to get them back to the bigger toys. I wanted to really buy them something good. Well, that's sort of like us. You know, I want this, I want this. And God has something in the back of the store that's the bicycle, you know, not just the little toy car. He's got something really special. He's got something bigger in his plan for you. The second B is better. He has something that's better in the plan of God. I know that when, uh, you know, I was coming out of seminary myself, I, uh, I was thinking about this church, and they were, they were offering, uh, rather, the, uh, the guy called me up, and he said, you know, we're thinking about uh, calling you. I'd like to do that. I'm bringing you before the committee. You know, would you send a resume and all that? Well, in the meantime, and they were kind of lollygagging around a little bit and just uh, biding their time, another church came in and said, we want to fly you out here. We want you to plant a church. And I thought, well, I never thought about planting a church before. And so we went to Atlanta, Georgia, and we were um, uh, praying about it. And I kept thinking about this other church. And God said, no, you know, I, I felt like this is something better in the plan of God. And lo and behold, when we were cleaning out our house, there was nothing left on the floor at seminary but the phone. And I got a phone call from this church and said, yeah, we'd like for you to come and look at our church. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already committed to planting a church. They said, well, you don't need to plant one. We've got one right here. I never will forget his response to that. Well, that's not the point. You know, you go where God wants you to go. And then something, the third B, something binding in the plan of God. And so what what is that binding? Well, 1 John 3.22 says, And whatever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. I was talking to one lady that was a relative of mine, actually, uh, years ago. And she was going through a Richard moment in her life. And uh, her marriage was splitting up. And she said, you know, I don't want to hear any more talk about God from you. I prayed and prayed for my marriage to to mend, and it didn't. And now we're divorced, and there's no hope. And I didn't. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And she said, well, I'd appreciate that. You know, she wasn't opposed to that, uh, thank God. But she was mad. Now, since then, she's come back to the Lord. But I wanted to ask her, I wanted to ask her, I said, okay, let me ask you this. Were you walking in the plan of God? Was Jesus Christ your Lord when you were praying that prayer? Were you doing the things that were pleasing in his sight? Or just kind of going your own way? I've said so many times, if you're on the path of blessing, God can afford to bless you. But if you're off here in the tangent in the wilderness, if he blesses you with an answer to prayer, it's going to encourage you to live that same type of life. And she was living away from the Lord. It wasn't any great sin that she was involved in, as far as I know, at all. Maybe he was, but she wasn't. But nevertheless, was not walking with God. So it's something binding. It's something that God's saying, look, no, look, the reason I'm not going to answer that prayer and the reason I put this great need in your life is because you need to realize that is on the throne and not me. And so we see this all coming down to first he says, know him, trust him, rely on him as Lord, and then finally we surrender. And really it's more than surrendering to God. It's surrendering to God and his will. Notice it says here, he says, and will his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. Don't give me that will of God stuff. You know, I've heard that all my life. You know, God didn't answer that prayer, so it must have not been the will of God. Well, I know that when Jesus was in the garden, uh, he wanted the cup of wrath to be taken from him. But God said no, and, God, and Jesus said, hey, your will be done and not mine. And thank God he did that because then he died on the cross for our sins, and it wasn't for that uh, happening in the garden. Maybe that wouldn't have happened. But you say, I think God just ought to say yes more often. Maybe, maybe you should say yes all the time. How many of you have seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Anybody here? Bruce Almighty. If you, you know, you probably, I, I, I shouldn't recommend that movie because there's no telling what's in it. But it wasn't an R-rated movie or anything like that. But I'm just saying, in this thing, Bruce ran into to God. And Bruce was played by, somebody help me out. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, yeah. Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey, you know, Dumb and Dumber. I don't know which one he was, Dumb or the Dumber. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, he was in that movie as well. So he played that part. And God said, look, uh, you're not satisfied with the way I do things. Why don't you do it? Why don't you take over being God? He was more than willing to do that. And so he had all these requests coming in. I mean, just millions all the time. And so he just got on his computer, yes, 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 and answered yes to every prayer. That means what? Every sports team won the championship. Everybody won the lottery. Things were chaotic because everybody got, what, a dollar fifteen cents, something like that from the lottery, uh, worth millions because you had to split it all up. Yes, yes, yes. The whole world was chaotic because there needs to be some sort of wisdom behind what, what is yes and what is no. And sometimes we can just get plain, can I say this, in disagreement with the will of God. And I've found that to be true in my life. I remember um, um, my only associate pastor, full-time guy in my last church. We did plant a church in Atlanta, and we were there for a little over eight years. And this guy came to me. It was from our same home church. And he said, Bill Ricketts recommended I come to you because I'm living near here and in the insurance business, but I want to go into the, into the ministry. Just got out of college. I want to go to the ministry. And so he became my intern, unpaid intern, and we became very, very close friends. Then he became my full-time staff member. He did kind of education and youth for me. And he came in one day, and you just have to understand, we, we are in a, a situation there in Atlanta that was changing over. Atlanta just com- changes over neighborhoods, people selling houses, moving further and further and further out all the time. It's not like here. It's just constant change. And we had a lot of people. We led to the Lord. They were moving out 30 minutes away into their second home and not their first, kind of moving up a little bit. So I'm I'm dealing with all this and losing leaders. He comes to me and he says, this guy in Augusta, of course he has a bigger church, run about five or 600 people. He says, he's offered me the position of youth and I'm thinking about taking it. Man, that just tore me up. I said, you know, maybe I said something good, good things, the things I ought to say, but I was really upset, not just at him, but if God has indeed called him, my, my gripe was with God and not him. It turns out he, he stayed because he really needed to because a year later he went to seminary and that he could not have gone if he'd, you know, one year and out, that would have been bad. So he probably stayed there and had a different life altogether. He eventually went to seminary, then got his PhD and was dean of a college actually for a while. Now he's pastoring up in Virginia. But as the story goes, I, as, after he left the room, I just, I just got along with God. I said, God, I cannot believe you're doing this to me. 
I mean, I've done all this. I've tried so hard. Got these good leaders, teachers. They're, they're moving out. They hate to leave, you know, but 30 minutes, 45 minutes, too far to drive in. I get that. But, but I've trained this guy. I've poured my life into him. And now that he's doing, doing some good and taking a load off of me, now you are moving him. And I griped him for about two hours until the thought came to me. And maybe it wasn't a thought. God was speaking to me, I believe. And he said, Dwayne, your problem is you don't agree with my will for your life. Never will forget that lesson. Because I, you know, blah, 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 blah. I didn't know what to really say, except for you're right. I'm in disagreement with the will of God. And every time I found out in my prayer life that I prayed for something and God said no, something bigger, something better, something binding, something's going on, then I know when I get upset with that, I'm in disagreement with the will of God. So in surrendering, it's not like we're just saying, okay, God, I surrender my life to you. Prayer is surrendering your will to his will. Saying, God, okay, we are in disagreement here, but I pray that you'll bring me around and I'll be able to believe like you believe. Well, then finally tonight, there's maturity. Maturity in him. He says in the last part of this, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Patience and getting the needs met. Daily bread. You know, that's the, that symbolism of manna from the Old Testament where God would drop manna out of heaven and the Israelites could only gather enough for that day. And if they'd gather any more for the next day and buried it, it'd, it'd rot, go rancid on them overnight. Daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. See the maturity in that? He said, Lord, deliver me from evil. I'm, I don't want to get involved in that. And God, I pray for that, and I pray that I'll be able to forgive others in all maturity the way they would forgive me. Maturity in the Lord. And then we finally see in the last verse, verse but you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your your father, Heavenly Father forgive you. And maybe the problem is in our unanswered prayer, that binding thing, is that we're not forgiving someone else like God's forgiven us. Our daily bread. Daily bread. One of the things that we, we often uh, get involved in is that when God is looking for us to respond to him in a positive way, he's trying to mature us. He's trying to grow us up. And we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. He's trying to get our attention. Praying and praying, oh no, you need patience. Praying and praying, no, you need to forgive somebody else. Praying and praying, you know there's a sin in your life you need to get rid of. And you just need to mature. We need to grow. I grew from the, from the experience with Pete. Howard Hendricks, who is, a, um, I think he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he was a great professor, great writer, um, Dallas Theological Seminary. Really hilarious speaker. He's just great. And he tells a story. He tells a story of how he was so frustrated with his life. And he would go into his office, get down on his knees, and every day pray. He says, God, God, I pray that you would change my students. They're just indifferent. God, I pray that you would change my wife. We're not getting along like we should. God, more than that, I pray that you change my kids. They're just not being respectful. They're not going the right way. Every day he'd pray for these three groups of people until God laid on his heart. And he said, well, 
uh, Howard, I'm not going to change them until I change you. All this is happening to mature you. And Howard Hendricks made the thing. He said, when I committed to God, that God could change me. That's when I saw a change in me. And when the change came about in me, then the people around me begin to change as well. Let me read uh, in closing just a, this, the rest of the story, and then I'll, I'll tell you one more quick one, and then we'll, uh, we'll close out. Richard, rest of Richard's story. After he said the struggle was over, my life was my own, he said this. It seems silly now, but this is what I did next. I picked up my Bible and a couple of other Christian books and walked downstairs, and out the back door, I shut the door softly behind me so as to not wake anyone. In the backyard was a brick barbecue grill. and pile, I piled the books on it, sprayed them with lighter fluid and struck a match. It was a moonless night, and the flames danced high and bright. Bible verses and bits of theology curled, blackened, and broke off the crumbs of ashes and floated skyward. My faith was going up with that fire and those ashes. I made another trip downstairs and brought down another armload of books. I did this maybe eight times over the next hour. Commentaries, seminary textbooks, the rough draft of the book that I was writing on Job. All of them went up in smoke. I may have burned every book I owned if I had not been interrupted by the angry fireman in yellow, or yellow rain slicker who was toward me shouting, what do you think you're doing? Someone had phoned in the alarm, and I, I fumbled around for an excuse and finally just told him I was just burning trash. After the fireman had squirted some chemicals on my bonfire and shoveled dirt over it, he let me go. I climbed the stairs, sank into bed, smelling of smoke. It was almost dawn by then, and at last I had peace. A great weight was lifted, and I had been honest with myself. Any pretense was gone, and I had no longer felt the pressure to believe what I could not be sure of. I felt converted, but converted from God. You say, well, good for him. Except Philip Yancey sort of kept up with Richard. He had talked to him previously about his book that he was writing on Job, just in passing. Read the book, thought it was good. Contacted him, and that's when he found this story. A few years later, he said, I ran across Richard again, and I asked him how he was doing. He wouldn't talk much, but I could tell the misery was still there, manyfold. And you contrast that with another story, a young man that I know, uh, very well, who was um, grew up here in Oviedo, and um, he played basketball, um, broke his uh, knee from the growth plate. After that, he got rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile. He had to quit playing ball, started playing golf, had dreams about now being, you know, a golfer. Everybody has those, especially when they're a good athlete, they think they can get better and better at it. Went off to Liberty University, played golf on the Liberty team, but soon realized that he wasn't as good even as the best players on that team. At that point, he had his girlfriend break up with him because she wanted to get married right away, and he said, you know, I'm not ready for anything like that, 18, 19 years old. And um, he began to go through trials. He began to go and look at his life and said, I had all my life planned out, and now nothing's going to work out. His friends, I mean, I know this is Liberty University, but... They even got worried about him because he read his Bible so much. 
And he came to the place of calling me up. And he said, Dad, I think I've come to a realization. Maybe the trials in our life and the answer to life is to bring us a blessing. And the blessing is not something, but it's Jesus himself. Jesus, I feel like, through all this, is my blessing. Now, contrast that. Brandon, my oldest son, is married, has three kids, living in North Carolina, very successful church planter. Getting through it all, saying, okay, Jesus was not the Lord of my life, but he is now. And through it all, he was able to come through that and understand that his prayer life was more than just simply asking and receiving. It was about a relationship. And the greatest thing about prayer is that feeling, as Charles Stanley would say, of oneness with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that something was said tonight to really help everyone understand the word just a little bit better. I know we all struggle in this, this area, and maybe one sermon is not enough to really alleviate some of the pain that maybe some are going through today, some of the letdown that they've had um, over in their Christian life. They feel like maybe Christianity has failed them a little bit. But Lord, I pray that this will be a word of encouragement to them tonight, that they need to understand that God is trying to say through trials, look, you're, through this trial, you're going to understand me better, my ways better. You're going to understand my voice and be able to hear it better. I'm going to be on the throne of your life in a greater way, more permanent way, more consistent way. But we must surrender our will to your will. And I pray that we'll do that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.